0: Dan Fromer, good to have you back on the show. Thank you. Long time. Yeah, it feels like it. Skype is telling me 10 months. Uh, I don't know if that's accurate. I think that's right. <laughs> I know. I do know I didn't see you last week. Oh, my gosh. So. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what, a strange, uh, hey,
0: what a strange thing. Let me jump right into it and talk about the keynote a little. I'm still not done talking about it. But here's a quote from uh, your newsletter, The New Consumer. Uh, talking about the actual keynote itself, the presentation, sort of the cinema. Here's a quote. Remember how Ocean's Eleven felt faster and more modern than any heist movie before it? That's what this was like. I love that synopsis of the keynote. I think that that, and, and again, you could say, well, it's, it's, you know, they're trying to say electronic gadgets and operating systems. It's not as cool as Ocean's Eleven. It's the keynote equivalent, though, you know, and it is. It's just faster,
1: you know? Yeah, and, and I, I guess like they they couldn't do it that way if they were still pretending to be talking to a theater of what what is it six thousand people or something like that. Um, yeah, but, I don't but know because don't... because they weren't and they knew they weren't. They really kind of chopped out all the the crowd reaction parts and you know, they were speaking straight into the camera instead of pretending to be speaking to a room. Uh, it, it really worked.
0: Yeah. I thought it was really interesting. Um, it was, and I felt such a relief as I read other people's takes on it. I listened to, uh, ATP's, uh, post keynote episode and having everybody say, Hey, that was a lot to digest that went by so fast. Um, uh, made me feel better about the fact that I felt overwhelmed <laughs> Yeah, when it was over. And I don't think, I still don't think it was too much. I don't think that, you know, it, if I had to give notes, I would say maybe slow down a little. But the other problem that they have with these keynotes, whether they're live in, you know, like regular traditional ones or this one that's virtual, is in... In terms of deciding what makes the cut for the keynote or not, it's it, it's not like writing a movie or maybe it's sort of like adapting a book or something like that where the book is you know 700 pages and there's a lot of plot points and somehow you got to make it you know two hours. They're, they have here's here's a list of everything they're doing for the next year across all of these platforms. They're doing it whether it makes the keynote or not. So it's like you could say all right we're going to cut this feature from the keynote we're not even going to mention it too much that doesn't mean the feature isn't there and those of us who want to cover it still have to figure it out eventually anyway so it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to to give notes on you know did they put pack too much into the keynote
1: well and it's just interesting how different it is than you know 3 or 4 or 5 years ago when i don't know if you remember but like they would they would start the ios segment and they'd be like all right we've got 12 new tent poles or whatever it is and they would have all those icons (laughs) on the screen i think this year it was like two or three or something like that and instead they're like kind of opening up new worlds like this whole concept of widgets which you know you you could theoretically spend two hours just on widgets and i'm sure i haven't had a chance to watch the technical videos from those sessions but I'm sure there's some pretty interesting stuff there, but it's not like the old days where it's like, and now we have FaceTime or, or you know, all these changes coming to the mail app or something like that.
0: Yeah, it seemed, I I don't know if 10 was the magic number, but it always felt to me like a lot of times they'd have 10 features. Like, you know, maybe it was a Steve Jobs axiom, you know, that let's, let's pick 10, 10 polls. And, you know, you can imagine... The prep sessions in the weeks leading up to the the big announcement, where you know there's twenty, and all right, here's the twenty. All right, we'll we'll cut these two. Now we're down to eighteen. Next meeting, get it down to fifteen. You know, and eventually you get it down to the ten. Um, this felt a little bit more aggressive than that. I think you're right. I don't think I. I wouldn't say there were 10 10 polls for any of these things.
1: I guess maybe the watch had a few things. You know, it's it's a platform that's still kind of. Right less developed whereas iOS like you know what a <laughs> at this point we're like all right you can change default apps there you go <laughs> it's not like there's a ton of i mean I, I guess if you wanted to be creative you could come up with a whole next set of 10 20 features to add but uh it's certainly you know and, and i think people's literacy of learning new features has has changed over the years too people are much more you know, this is a device you you've now used for a decade all the time. So I think people learn new things faster and don't need to be walked through them quite as as literally as they may have needed to five or six years ago. Maybe, um,
0: I you know, I, I do think that. I, I also think that the attention and I you know you, you can never please everybody, right? I mean, it's there's. A, Fifty different ways of saying that. Um, I feel like iOS, the you know the iPhone version of iOS in particular, changed the least, and it's sort of the most additive. Although what they did change is at the very, you know, they even emphasized it. This is the main, you know, your main interface to the phone, the home screen. Okay, finally, we're going to put widgets wherever you want them, and we're going to deal with this issue of. Um, <laughs> Your the fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh pages yeah. of apps just being a complete mess. Um, but I feel like they did it in a good way where it is not, it, it really should not confuse anybody uh, moving, you know, who's already ne- learned how to use an iPhone. It's should, you know, it's not like all of a sudden they're going to upgrade their iPhone or buy a new one and then they're going to be lost on the homepage. It's pretty, pretty similar. Yeah. It's, It's sort of a power user feature, which I know is often an overused term, but to me, that one of the best ways of describing a, a good power user feature is the sort of thing that's out of the way of normal people. They don't even know it's there, but it is there in a very discoverable way for somebody who's enthusiastic enough to dig into it. So you could find it on your own by sort of learning to understand the insert platform here, the Mac way of thinking or the iPhone way of thinking. Well, I would think maybe it would be here. I'll go to the share button and open this sheet and scroll down. And, oh, yeah, here's where you can, you know, do X, Y, or Z. You learn, you learn to find features like that. Uh, and I feel like those home screen features fall into that category where you, you you know, I guess it all starts with jiggle mode. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I was so excited that he called it jiggle mode in the keynote. And then a bunch of people on Twitter, like they've always called it jiggle mode. It's like, I don't recall anybody
1: in an Apple keynote calling it jiggle mode. It's the kind of joy that we need these days, John. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I thought, I thought that was the other thing about the keynote that, that I thought they did a very good job of is, is they, it, they kept it lighthearted and it was sunny, you know, and I, I, you know literally sunny in a lot of places where where you know they've they clearly filmed in like the atrium of the Steve Jobs Theater with lots of you know California sunshine outside um you know it's it, difficult times to do a to keynote for multiple yeah. reasons you know and i feel like they hit the right tone a couple of jokes not too many fewer than usual um Uh, But I feel like tonally really hit it, you know, like you just, you can't, you certainly can't accuse them of being, uh, uh, pretending that the current situation isn't going on, whether the current situation is the protests, you know, and, and the Black Lives Matter, um, uh, protests and police stuff around the country or the, the COVID-19 situation, um, you know, I think that they acknowledged all of it pretty well.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I, I'm curious, like, you know, how how far out they kind of rewrote that that intro. Um, yeah, I, I guess they had several weeks to prepare for it. I, I thought it was actually really well done. The way that um, you know, the, the first shot was basically a reverse shot of the Steve Jobs right. stage that you normally would never see, except for like a crowd reaction shot showing an empty theater, and there's Tim, you know, kind of washed in backlighting. Um, you know, doing his Tim thing where he kind of rises above just running Apple and, and acts as a, as a sort of a world leader um, in a way that, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like that was probably more substantive than anything. Our actual leaders have said about either of those things. So right. I think it was well done um, and not too over the top and not too cheesy and not too prolonged. Um, right. But, but well done. Yeah.
0: Um, I guess I will take a break. I want to, you know, I want to keep moving, but I definitely want it when we come back. Uh, you and I—I I knew you were going to write about it. I couldn't wait to read it. You <laughs> wrote about app app clips, and I knew because it's you know what what was the announcement that was more up the alley of of new consumer. Totally. But let's take a break and uh, thank our first sponsor, our good friends at Linode, L I N O D E, Linode cloud hosting. That's where I host Daring Fireball. Oh man, do I like Linode when. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure or something in between, which is probably where I fall, uh, Linode Cloud Hosting has the pricing support and scale you need to take your project to the next, ele- uh, next level. They have 11 data centers worldwide, enterprise-grade hardware, and their next-generation network. Uh, it gives you the server performance you expect at a price that you don't. They have a special offer for all talk show listeners and new Linode customers. Use the promo code. Uh, the – no, nope, promo code is TalkShow20. I'll, I'll explain my confusion in a moment. But you remember that promo code, TalkShow20, and you get $20 in free credits. Now, that goes a long way. They have a nanode plan that starts at just 5 bucks a month, which is a seriously useful plan. Uh, 20 bucks in credit gets you four months of service. That's unbelievable. Uh, you could do all sorts of stuff there. And again, not just work, but I'm, t- I keep hearing, I keep mentioning it. So I keep, uh, I keep hearing from readers. So I keep mentioning it. It Linode is a great option for game servers, for Minecraft and all sorts of other games where you can run your own servers. And if you're a parent, which I know is a big part of the demo for my audience, uh, what a great way to have your kids run their games and do it in pri- you know private way where them and their pals can can uh, play these games on their own server at a really really low monthly cost and it's really really easy to set up. They make it easy. That's it's, it's not like oh you can use Linode for this. No, they're re- totally ready for you to do it. Every technical thing you would want, they've got native SSD storage from the smallest plan to the biggest. Forty gigabit network, industry leading platform. Uh, processors. You name it, they've got it. Just remember that code, TalkShow20, when you signed up. You get 20 bucks. Also, they're hiring. So if you're a nerd who could might even be vaguely interested in working for a great cloud hosting company, go to linode.com slash careers to find out more. And the URL for the to go to, linode.com slash the talk show. So the URL, the talk show, linode.com slash the talk show. But the promo code, TalkShow20, that's how you save 20 bucks. My thanks to Linode. App Clips. This to me is either I here's what I think. And then I want to hear I want to hear more of your thoughts because I thought you got you had a pretty good take on it. I think this is either going to be a really big deal or a complete bust, and there's not much room in the middle.
1: The sign of any good new technology, right?
0: <laughs> I think so. That's not a bad rule of thumb. Yeah that it's either going to go big or go home. I
1: mean, it's interesting. So I assume everyone here kind of knows what app clips are, but if not, it's it's a piece of your iPhone app. So it's not new. Co- I mean, it, it could be new code, but it's part of your app's binary that is loaded in a completely different way by someone who does not have your app. And they load it by... Right. And it's a bunch of different things. And the examples are basically like... You know if you're uh, Panera bread and you have this whole app where you have all your nutrition info and you in a map that has all your locations and all this kind of stuff, if someone shows up in the store and they see a sign that's you know well we we'll, we'll get into the, the the QR code in a second, but basically they can load this app clip that's just the ordering sheet so and the right. whole idea is it has to be under 10 meg which is actually very small. I mean, I I looked at a bunch of the apps like, you know, Starbucks. I think Starbucks is is almost 200 megs. Um, Well, you know, these these, – It's funny, but like these apps do a lot these days. You know, you have your whole – Do you know what, though? You know what, though? I think a lot of that, though, is unnecessary
0: bloat. I've seen people analyze it. I think think part of it is that they do a lot, but part of it is that modern app development – is a lot of, well, we'll just throw a framework in there. And in this framework's eight megabytes and this framework's 13 megabytes. And all they're doing is like putting a framework in that does like one little thing. Next thing you know, it's a 200 megabyte
1: yeah, app. Yeah, here's download. the one that tracks you while you're walking around. Here's the one that does, yeah. Right. Um, So essentially like the whole idea is, is for an essential part of your app to be able to be almost streamed because it's 10 megs in real time that solves that, that, like people can use very quickly to get something done. Whether it's you know I'm I'm standing in, in the lobby of Panera, especially, and this is super helpful during COVID. Like you're standing outside of Starbucks, you want to order a coffee for a for uh, contactless pickup. You don't want to have to download this app, figure out the navigation, sign up for a loyalty account, log in. You know, every, every time I open like the the Grubhub app or whatever, it's like. Forget my address. I just want to see the menu of a restaurant. Don't ask me my address. <laughs> Don't you know? Let's skip all the the throat clearing and just get into this point where I can just get one thing done very quickly. Um, the the sample app that Apple uses in the WWDC sessions is a smoothie ordering app, and you can kind of see where you know you're standing in front of the smoothie kiosk. All you want to do is just order a smoothie very quickly, and boom, the app clip gets you the ordering screen. That's it. And then, of course, you know this is Apple, so you're you're encouraged to use Apple Pay, and then you know you're encouraged to offer your customers the opportunity to, um, you know, let people sign up for a loyalty account with sign in with Apple and all these things. Um, but why I wrote about this for the new consumer and the part of it that I think is going to be either the thing that takes it to that level where it's just part of how we use our phones in the future. Or not is this thing that's called the app clip code and it's a round QR code. Um, there's still a lot of details about how it's going to work that we don't know yet, but the thinking is that there's going to be this sticker that with this QR code on it, um, that's round, that also has an embedded NFC chip. And both of those things, whether you you know move your phone close to it or take a photo of the QR code, will trigger a URL that is a deep link into your app that not only is to a specific page, but could also be associated with a specific geographic location. And in fact, your app can actually ping the server and and confirm that you're actually in the location that the sticker is supposed to be in. So that helps if you're, again, to go back to our Starbucks analogy, it not only knows that you wanna go straight to the order screen, but it knows what exact location you you should be ordering from. So you don't have to go through the the process of, you know, looking at the map, Trying to figure out which of the four Starbucks in your <laughs> in your immediate vicinity is the one you're standing in front of, um, and this this extends, you know, to thought, you know, to, another example they gave is a scooter rental service. You know, if you have ten thousand scooters in your fleet, each code will be different, and each code will actually be um, delineated to that specific scooter. So, boom, it, it, it'll check. Okay, is the scooter in our network where we think it's supposed to be? Start riding you know, pay for it, deal with all the other nonsense later. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea. You know, we're in this era where a lot of companies have iPhone apps that do a lot of different things. They keep taking advantage of all these new technologies in the phone. But if you just want to get one simple thing done, pay for parking, order something, um, you know, make a purchase, I think it could be a really interesting and compelling use for gaming and art, maybe. I don't know if that's going to be allowed, but uh, it, it mm. seems very much purposely designed to just get one thing done very quickly, um, which, you know, well, there's a whole a whole other <laughs> set of things we can talk about. But yeah, that's, that's the overview. I think that a couple
0: of interesting parts, it, another way to think of it is just sort of a mini version of the app, right? Like there's not... It, and it's a little hard to, I always feel like the best way to learn anything is to just start using it and you can't quite do it yet because nobody has app clips out yet. And you can't just say, you know, like, oh, they, they've already worked with Starbucks. And if you, you know, if you run the iOS 14 beta, you can already get the Starbucks app clip you know doesn't work like that so you kind of have to go by the sessions but it's really just a mini version of the app and part of it is shows my age as somebody who came of age you know in the 90s building websites you know when we tried to we measured websites by the kilobyte You know, and it mattered, right? It was, it was like, that was like, it wasn't just a sign of professional pride and perfectionism. It was like when I was doing freelance web development in like the mid to late nineties and early two thousands, it's like being able to tell people you'd, you'd have a faster website and it would actually load pretty, you know, as low as quick as you can imagine on a modem connection, it mattered. And so talking about 10 megabytes as a small payload still sounds to me like a lot. I think but, my whole you know, FTP it, it,
1: account was two megs. So, <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but on the other hand, like you pointed out, and you know, a lot of very popular apps that are also the very much the type of apps that ought to be using the app clips feature have you know 180 megabytes, 200 megabytes just to get the app. And then the bigger difference, too, in addition to a lot less to download, so it's there installed and running. You know, one tenth the size, you know, easily, maybe more is the first run experience, right? The idea is that if you get the app for ordering from the, you know, Slurpee place or, or what, what'd you say the example was not Slurpees. smoothies? What's yeah. The, uh, smoothies. That's, that's what we call Slurpees nowadays. <laughs> um, but you know you if if the idea is you get the app clip and then you can pre pre-order your thing you it's not going to sit there and ask you to, for an email and a password and all this nonsense you know and go check your email for the confirmation code and tap the thing and oh go fish it out of your spam because it actually went to spam and then click the the link in there and now you're registered by that time you you know you, you you've already missed your turn to get your uh, smoothie so you know have it just launch Show me the things and then you tap it and it already knows you're there because you got it. Like you said, and you know, hopefully it removes a lot of it. And, and I feel like what they're competing with in some ways is the obvious thing they're competing with is just downloading the whole app and going through the normal first run experience and the permissions and et cetera, et cetera. But the other thing they're competing against is just the good old fashioned real world right? Like uh, how many places have you been in your life, you know, for decades where if you're a regular, you get a little business card. That's like every 10 times you come in, they, you know, they stamp it and then you get like a free sandwich or something like that. And that's all the card does. Everybody understands what it does. You know, they give you the card. They're like, Hey, would you like this? And you know, here I'll stamp it. And then, you know, buy nine more sandwiches and you get a free one. Everybody understands what that card is, how it works, and you can make the personal choice as to whether, <laughs> whether it's actually something you want to stick in your wallet and you'll use, which a lot of people do, or if you'll just politely, you know, wait till you're out of sight and throw it away. But it's easy. You understand it. Nobody's confused by that card, right? right? And so like the idea with an app clip is if you just point your phone, you know, it, it, it no matter how easy they make these app clip codes. And I do think they look pretty easy. And I think the NFC stuff certainly helps make it easier where you just kind of get your phone close to it and it should pop up with, do you want to load the app clip for Dan smoothie shop? And then, yeah, that's exactly why I'm waving my phone at this tap a button and then you've got it. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, seven to eight, nine megabyte download over a typical LTE network is actually going to happen pretty fast. There you are. You know, it's pretty close to the seamlessness of just picking up a flyer, right? Or a lot of busy takeout places will have, you know, you know, obviously a lot of places have a menu on the wall that you can look at, but you know, they'll give you back in pre-COVID days, like a laminated menu to look at while you're in line or something like that.
1: Totally. And, and, Let's not forget, like it's actually very easy to just stand there and order a smoothie off of a off the menu. It's not that's not a hardship. Right. Uh but that is assuming that, you know, there is a person there to take the order. And that's assuming that you're actually standing there. And one of the interesting things about app clips is that not only are they discoverable in that setting you know the physical setting but they're also going to be deep linked from the apple maps listing for a location Um, they're shareable you can text message someone a link to it so it's a little more elaborate than just you know scan this qr code and load this thing i I think a good analogy is it's kind of like a web page versus a website and i think you know we we talk about this mini app thing Um, to me it you know and we'll see how it works in practice. My guess is that there's going to be a lot of things that that the kind of ideal demo suggests that it would be useful for, where it turns out that it's just not that useful. And then there's going to be a bunch of new stuff, you know, whether it's vending machines or new types of of retail designs, um you know this whole Covid period where you really are trying to minimize contact with with staff and a lot of places are not passing out menus at all. Uh, where, where it right. could actually be very useful and, and reduce friction, and you know, a lot of times people are not only reluctant to download an app, but they'll download it and then never use it. I mean, I probably have three pages of apps on my phone that I've never even used. So, if 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 you can get someone to not only stop and and see that something is is available for purchase, but get the page to order it and order it and place the order, you know, within seconds instead of Minutes or whatever it is, um, it could be it could be very useful, but again, we'll see. I don't know, maybe not. I the other one that everybody
0: keeps mentioning, and I think it's maybe a better example of something app clips can do that the real world can't are the parking apps. And so, like, I, I think part of the idea is you know, like a municipality can have a certain app, and you get the app clip, and instead of pumping quarters into a meter you just use the app um and part of the it's like oh well quarters everybody understood quarters and the inconvenience was if you if you had the quarters you were set yeah. <laughs> and if you didn't you're screwed and that did suck if you were out of quarters and i think we've all been in that situation um and you know and then you learn to just hide roll a roll of quarters somewhere in your car and they're always there um but the thing that an app can do is an app can do things like, Hey, you, you know, I know you put in exactly 90 minutes of time and at 80 minutes, I can send you an alert and you're still at your kids, uh, school play or something like that. And you get an alert that says, Hey, you know, your, your meters up in 10 minutes. Do you want to put more time in? And then maybe you can just put the more time in right there, you know, punch it into the phone instead of like, you know, being the jerk who has to get up from the kindergarten sing along and, uh, run out and p- pump quarters into a meter. That's pretty cool, yeah. right? Then you feel like you're living in the future, and it's like, hey, that was that was pretty pretty cool. And you know, and you also feel like, hey, I don't have to like, uh, I don't know how long this dentist appointment is going to take. I better just put four dollars of quarters in here. You know, you don't know. It's you know, so I could see it.
1: So, so a few um, other things that I think are really interesting about the implementation is that to that point that that notification. The, the whole idea, is again, is to lower friction. So it's actually not going to prompt you to see if you want that notification or not. It's not going to ask you for permission to send you notifications right. for, I think, eight hours um, yeah. or also location information um, for that first query, that first confirmation that you're in the place that it thinks you are. So it's a much less, the, the onboarding process is a lot less uh, kind of hairy. Um, another interesting thing is that because it's part of because the app clip is part of the main binary of your app there there's this thing like this shared uh, data pool I guess you could call it um, where if you download the full app after you use the app clip, it will move your information over into the main app so you don't have to sign up for an account a second time or anything like that, which I think is pretty slick. Then there's this idea that these app clips are, Almost ephemeral in a way. Like if you don't use them, if you only use them once, if you're, you know, if you're visiting a new city and you get five app clips because you're at restaurants that you that you don't go to in your main city, um, and you never use them, Apple will actually just clear them off your phone for you, um, which is kind of interesting. If you do use them over and over, it will keep them. Um, And then, uh, and then lastly, this idea that. An app can have multiple app clips that are active on your phone at the same time. So imagine like Yelp could make an app clip for, if it wanted to, every business in its directory that's this kind of discrete, branded app clip. And you could have like seven different app clips from the Yelp app on your phone, each of those for different locations. I imagine at that point, you're just going to get the Yelp app. But you start to see how, and I was just on, uh, not to plug another podcast, but I was talking about this with um one of the partners uh from Andreessen Horowitz on one of their podcasts this week uh who studies the the China market a lot and this is you know this kind of pushes us towards this era that has not really happened in the US of these super apps where um you know a lot of the activity is not every restaurant making their own app or every chain making their own app but having a place within a WeChat or a or a bigger ecosystem so a lot to kind of sketch out where Maybe this is going to happen over the next 10 years. Maybe not. But it is kind of a really interesting new point where – and I guess this exists in other app platforms like Snapchat has its own version of this. I think Android does yeah. too. But it's an interesting thing from an iOS perspective as well.
0: It it feels to me like the Android version. I forget what they call it. Um uh... It doesn't seem like that ever really took off. I mean, and that's sort of the it's a bust possible future for app clips that I see. Like, I, I never hear anybody talking about oh, I you know I was somewhere and I got the Android card or whatever they called the little clips. I, I've never heard anybody talk about u- using such a thing.
1: Certainly, don't um, hear about it. Yeah. But Apple has a, a so, very uh, you know successful track record at getting people to do stuff that no one else can get them yeah. to do. So I don't know. We'll see. I think it's neat. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to use them. Uh, I mean, I guess I will to test them out if I see yeah. them out and around. I'm very interested in how these stickers are going to happen. You know, I asked Apple, um, and they're not talking about it yet, But and they kind of say in, in some of the, the session videos, like, you know, we're, we're going to make tools that help you make these stickers? I don't know if they're going to approve stickers. Or are they going to make you guarantee that you're not going to vandalize public places with these stickers? I think there's a lot of un- <laughs> unknowns to those stickers that, uh, that we'll have to find out. But
0: well, I didn't even think about that angle, but there is that is an angle because it is sort of clearly the, I don't think there's an Apple logo on it, but it's very clearly an iPhone in, in the center of the thing it they sort of look like a fingerprint like the touch id fingerprint yeah. they're like a uh, combined with the uh, people are saying the uh, the maze from um uh, uh westworld huh. and uh also the uh, the hatch logos from lost um But it's you know it's sort of like a circular fingerprint type thing with you know and yeah I don't know how to read it or decipher it but you can see that there's sort of a Morse codey pattern to the concentric rings you know short long dashes as the rings go around so you 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 don't have to know, you know be a, a cryptographer to try to figure out how to actually read it and figure out what it is but you can see that it's a embedded code same way that you can look at a QR code and and see that there's this black and white pattern um but i guess it sort of raises the pattern why do, the question why don't they just use QR codes and i i think i know the answer to that <laughs> Which is, well, there's two, two answers. One, my first, the one that made me laugh is that QR codes are so freaking ugly. They're just ugly. They're horrible. They're so super ugly. And I think Apple resisted using them for so long. And then I forget when, but like a year. Or two, two ago maybe 3 years ago they did build in a feature to the iOS camera where if you just open up your camera app and point it at a QR code it will recognize it and then say like oh okay do you want to open the Starbucks app or whatever the QR code is for right in the camera app because prior to that you had to go to the app store and get like a QR code reader you know there were and it was like a whole cottage industry of i mean literally i'm not even exaggerating Hundreds. Maybe hundreds, hundreds of apps, because Apple didn't w- chose not to build it into the system, it was an obvious need their q r codes are all over the world, and so it, it in one sense it's like well, the app store works you know you could just go to the app store and get it, but which one do you get and they're all just you know every single one just was some variation of any obvious name you could think of you know q r code scanner. QR code reader, reader for QR codes. You know, <laughs> you just name it. There was an app for it. They all look the same. They all had cheese ball icons. They all were from developers you've never heard of. And what do you do? I don't know. Um, so I'm glad they built it into the camera app so you don't have to worry about it. But I can see why Apple's not using it. QR codes, they are so ugly. And then the second idea is, you know, QR codes are cross-platform and work for everybody. And I think they always just transform into a url and i think that with by doing their own scheme they have a lot more control over it they can build something proprietary that's just for iphones and it can i don't know what the actual in decoded app clip code resolves to maybe it is it a url is just it and, but i don't know if there's anything else in addition to the url right. like presumably it's something that points to you know apps apple.com or whatever the new url you know that the top level domain is for the app store um so you presumably there's a url in there but i, I don't know if there's anything Some of this else. is like in maybe the
1: videos but i don't remember but i right. don't know what the code goes right. to and if it's you know could google but, hijack that then in a future version of android and translate that to a deep link into android right. apps i don't know um right.
0: i don't know either. i don't know And it, you know, and it raises the question to however popular the iPhone is in the United States, you know, it certainly varies by countries around the world. And, you know, does a comp, does a business want to have two different things? You know, like one of the nice advantages of most payment systems that take apple pay is that they also are they're not tied specifically they're not it's not like an apple branded reader that only takes iPhones for apple pay or app you know apple watch it is an nfc payment thing that also can take android phone payment so that's, you know, good for the business. I think it's, you know, it's good not to have that locked into one platform. Well, and
1: then imagine this world where, you know, you walk into a restaurant and they have the Grubhub uh, app code, they have the TripAdvisor app code, they have the the Resi and the OpenTable. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> which of these do I want to use? I don't even know. Um,
0: right. And then it's just another variation of the 300 different QR code reader apps in the App Store. It's like, what do I do? I don't know totally. what to do, you know? Right? You kind of want that clarity. I mean it should not be hard to get a, a smoothie. Yeah. I keep wanting to say Slurpee. <laughs> I mean It shouldn't be hard to get a Slurpee either. <laughs> but whatever whatever cold refreshing treat you want to order, it shouldn't be complicated and you shouldn't have to learn, you know, what to get. And and then you mentioned it in New Consumer too is on the other end in addition to the proliferation of choices and trying to reduce that from the business and the consumer side how do you avoid the scams you know how do you keep a company from making a, an app clip for Dan's smoothie shop that you don't even know about which we've learned is actually a problem with a lot of the food delivery places yep. like a huge problem uh, there's a, a place here I was telling a friend there's a place here in uh, Philly, it's been here, you know, I don't know, t- 30 years, Pete's, Pete's Famous Pizza. And they've, you know, they do their own delivery. Uh And, you know, it's, it's one of these places, you know, it's a pizza place. They have two locations, vaguely in Center City, Philly. Um, You know, they're strategically located to cover the maximum area. They have their own trucks and cars. You know, you see them riding around. They're not, it's not even just like a magnet that somebody puts on. Like they own their cars. You know, you see Pete's Famous Pizza driving around. Um and, you know, one of the, I forget who it was, Grubhub or if it was not Grubhub, I apologize to those of you who work at Grubhub, but one of those type of places had like a scam website instead of like, and Pete's has their own website, you know, but it was like, if you Google Pete's famous pizza Philly, you'd get like, there's like an alternate URL and it looks legit. It's like, Pete's famous pizza in Philly and, and if you order from there you're getting a Pete's famous pizza but they're the ones going to get it you know even though Pete's has delivery it's crazy it's like a total it's, scam
1: yeah so
0: and so how do you keep that how do you keep that sort of mindset from from creeping into this app clip thing presumably Apple's thinking about that because that seems right up the alley of all the privacy fo- focused stuff they've been working on across the board
1: right and that's where i don't know like will it will they Will it just be a best practice where they advise you not yeah. to create app clips for businesses that don't want them, or will they actually enforce it somehow? No. Uh, I don't know. It's going to be interesting, though. Are, you know, are we going to start seeing app clips in ads or on posters? Or yeah, um, yeah. And know. what's the right
0: to print them? Because part of making them look better, like part of what makes QR codes so ugly, is that they're just they just look like black and white static. Yeah,
1: it's just dorky. Um, it's, it's
0: yeah, <laughs> but. But much like the you know universal product codes that have been around, I guess since the seventies, maybe the eighties. I, I know that I was a very young kid when they first started appearing on every product. Um, they're easy, you know, and you know UPC codes. They they are ugly, and uh, you know I don't even know. Like, does Apple? I guess Apple does put them on their products. I think there's some kind of you know like laws that you have to, but. You know it kind of bugs them to do it because they are ugly, but they're not as ugly as QR codes because QR codes go in two dimensions, whereas the UPC code is just one-dimensional array of thin and thick lines. The QR code being a two-dimensional square of static Is really ugly, but they're very easy to print. You know, I've seen them, you know, you could just print them on whatever laser printer or inkjet printer you have, you know, and just spit them out and tape them to your wall. Like if Apple's goal with these is to make these stickers look good. um, And they certainly do look attractive in their demos so far. um, But how do you get them? Like if you can't just print them yourself.
1: And that's the thing. I don't 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 know. I mean, perhaps you'll be able to export a digital file and, but if you want one with embedded NFC, you have to order them through a partner that Apple, right. and I don't know, is this like is Moo.com gonna sell these or is Apple gonna sell them themselves for a <laughs> buck a piece? I have I don't know. It'll be interesting to see that. They they I asked and they didn't say, so we'll see.
0: Right. All right, let me take a break here. Thank our second sponsor of the show. It is our good friends at Feels. F-E-A-L-S. Do you experience stress? Do you have anxiety or chronic pain? Maybe trouble sleeping at least once a week? You are not alone. Many people do. Feels is premium. CBD delivered directly to your doorstep. What does Feels do? It naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. And it's easy to take. Just take a few drops, put it under your tongue, and you can feel the difference within minutes. Are you new to CBD? Most people are. It's a new thing. They make it easy to know what the heck to do. They have a free hotline. You can call them up, talk to them if you want. Or what I would do personally—I don't like talking to people. Uh, I would send them a text message. You can just do it all by text. Ask them what they think you should order, what you're what what you're looking for. They'll help you guide your personal experience, and it's totally natural. It is no high, no hangover, no addiction. It's not that type of uh, substance. <laughs> <laughs> and they have a membership program. Join the Fields community. You get Fields delivered to your door every month. You can save money on your order and pause or cancel at any time. No problem. Uh Just go to, here's what you do, F-E-A-L-S, feels.com slash talk show. And that special URL, feels.com slash talk show, will get you 50% off your first order if you become a member, Uh 50% off, and you get free shipping. So go to feels.com slash talk show. Uh I guess the uh, one last thing about app clips that it was uh, I would like to talk about is that it is sort of it, it, it I've been waiting for this for decades. I mean this is no exaggeration of something with the sort of ease of use of just loading a web page in terms of like you know you're not really like weighing your computer down or installing a thing but it not a web page, not something that is just a URL that goes into a web browser and renders in the browser and has all the limits of a web page and a web browser and I know that the web browsers have added you know and continue to add apis and become more app like over time, but there's still it it just seems like people have thought about things like this for a long time like just here just go here and instead of typing a crufty URL that's prone to typos, especially on your phone while you're out in public. Um, Just point your phone at this thing or just hold it near this thing and then a thing pops up and you just hit a button and now you've got the thing. But instead of being a web page, it is an app and it can maybe look better, load faster Store data, you know, like you said it you can expand to the full app at some point, install the whole app, and then all, all the stuff you've already done in the app clip just moves over um but also presumably can guard your privacy in a way you know i it's almost a hundred percent certain that Apple has designed app clips with privacy in mind in a way that, as we're learning at week by week, the web was not
1: yes and use all the sensors that are in your phone and the camera and all sorts of other things. Um, and, and let's not forget like, yes, this, this sounds pretty useful for the iPhones that we all have, but a lot of this seems to be setting things up for AR glasses where that those 10 megs, you know, have to go through to another device. They, um, you know, speed, it really is of the essence, but this idea of the physical world having these digital kind of portals or, or on ramps is really interesting in the context of, you know, actually being able to see them with glasses and then use them on that screen that's right in front of you. So uh, I have no idea what those types of experiences will be. I'm sure I could, you know, take an edible and come up with some ideas, but uh, um, you know, I, I think that's obviously where where a lot of this is is kind of being set up for, and as I say, I think in the piece, um, Apple is very good at setting future Apple up for success, and I think this is a, an example of that
0: yeah, and I think you know, and i I keep thinking back to Apple Pay, and I forget how many years ago Apple Pay first came out, but you know they they're they're a very patient company even though it doesn't seem like they're patient because they keep moving things forward every year. and But there are things they do that they know are not going to pay off for five years. You know, and Apple Pay is certainly one of them. Uh, and I think like when Apple Pay first came out and six months later, there were initial numbers of what percentage of US retail transactions were going through Apple Pay and people were rolling their eyes like, oh my God, almost nobody's using it. Well, it's like, even in, I don't know what the best case scenario was, but that's the sort of shift in consumer habits that is obviously a long-term play. Uh, I remember at the time reading about like the history of credit cards. And I know you're a credit card, you're big much bigger credit card nerd than me. But like when credit cards first became a thing, like, I think it was the 60s, right? Like with diner's card and, and stuff. Very few people used them. And the idea was bizarre, you know, that you just give – you go to a restaurant and give somebody a plast- piece of plastic with numbers on it and they walk away with it and come back and you just – that that counts as paying your bill? It was very strange. And, you know, it is kind of wild when you think about the fact that, that credit cards were truly like an honor system <laughs> – until i don't know some point in the eighties when when there was some kind of networking and you know communication but i remember going to kmart in particular with my mom my mom had a credit card and they would they had like a phone book full of like I g i don't know if they were the good numbers or the bad <laughs> numbers like a like a a phone book full of like MasterCard numbers and Visa numbers. And my mom would give the credit card over and then the clerk would go through the phone book and look for the number. I don't I, I never could figure out if they were looking for like, okay, it's in here or it's, it's, you know, like, is it a, a, Allow, you know, a list of good numbers or a list of, you know, these, these are the ones that are people have ripped off, but they'd look it up in a book. And I guess they got like a new book every month or every couple months. I mean, it's crazy that that's how credit cards worked. Took a long time to take off, you know, and I think that contactless payment with phones is taking off faster than that. But it, it certainly seems like app clip is the same sort of thing where the real payoff, if, if it takes off, it might be five, five to 10 years in the future. Yep. Uh, I think that the the idea that, it, that they're thinking about AR already has got to be true, right? It has to be because it it, it it's so c- clearly you don't even have to know the exact nature of what they're thinking the AR glasses product will be to imagine that having some kind of card come up when you're in Starbucks that you can see, but it's really just sort of a card and it, it doesn't have anywhere near the depth of... Screens and hierarchy that a full iPhone app would have because that it, that it, it just seems no matter how good the experience with AR is it doesn't seem appropriate right it just seems like a sort of shallow card like interface is just what the doctor ordered
1: yeah it, it, something very simple and and one dimensional yeah we'll see yeah uh, what else anything
0: else from WWDC that really jumped I, out I'm to curious you, you know. I know th-
1: since it's been something we've been thinking and talking about for for decades, um, you know, how the Apple Silicon announcement kind of fit your expectations, um, you know, as expected or, or different than what you thought it might be? It was very much in line with what I expected, and I
0: think... I you know if I was wrong and you know a couple people have found the places the the only area where I think I've been wrong for years on it was that I I thought it would happen a couple of years sooner mm-hmm. you know I think that there was a post in Daring Fireball like in 2017 where people people thought I was being coy and dropping one of those hints where I actually know something but just sort of act like I'm predicting it and said something like, you know, next year when there's arm-based max or something like that. And I was just being a wiseacre, but, uh, cause I obviously didn't know that, but I, I, you know, but other than maybe me being a little bit more aggressive on what I thought they could do pretty much played out as I expected. Do you, uh, I think that the, I think the one thing people are really getting wrong in, on my show last week, Federighi even said it was that, you can't judge the performance of Mac on Apple Silicon by these developer kits that are actually starting to get in developer hands today. I actually know a couple of friends Ooh, who nice. got them today. Um, but that this, it, it f- paraphrasing Federighi on my show that it, it, they run fine. They're good, you know, but that it really only shows what their chip team is capable of when they're not even trying, because this isn't designed for the Mac at all. It's literally just the a 12 Z from the iPad. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's what people are getting the wrong impression on. Because Apple, because Apple's in a t- tight spot where they really want to hold their powder to brag about how awesome their chips are going to be for when they're ready to sell them. Because that's just how they are, and it's actually smarter marketing. You don't want to get people too excited about them before they can buy them. Um, but on the other hand, they kind of wanted to leave the hints that, hey, these these are going to be really fast.
1: Yeah, I wonder if, uh, is Geekbench allowed as per the uh, borrowing terms, or are you not allowed to <laughs> to do that? So, I, I, we're recording at the wrong uh-huh. time for this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, you can run Geekbench, but Geekbench hasn't been recompiled for ARM ah, yet. Right. So, you're really only running, you're not testing the hardware, you're testing the Rosetta 2 emulation, yeah of x86 on the hardware. Uh, And I believe now I don't have the developer transition kit. I didn't order one because I don't, I have enough stuff (laughs) to do this summer. And I feel like the last thing I need is another computer. And I know, I know that it's not indicative of what they're going to actually ship. And so I, it, it, not that I'm not interested, but I feel like here's something I can just let other people do and I'll read what they say. And, you know, the great privilege of the format of Daring Fireballs is if somebody else writes something really awesome, I just link to it. And then it's like, check it off my list. There you go. <laughs> somebody wrote an awesome piece about the de- developer transition kit hardware. I'll just link to it. Here, go read, you know, this person's great write up. Um, so I didn't agree to any terms because I don't have one. <laughs> So I could say that somebody on Twitter – I saw somebody on Twitter was posting, and I think that the Geekbench numbers look sort of like those of, roughly speaking, like a 2015 iMac, um, which doesn't seem great because that's five years uh, old as a Mac. But you have to remember that's an emu- It it's running an emulation, and it is a, uh, a benchmark, so it's supposed to be taxing. So I, off the top of my head – I would say for a de- developer transition kit, running a chip that's not even from designed to run a Mac, it's from an iPad, running an x86 to ARM emulation, getting the speed from a you know fifteen sixteen hundred dollar Mac from five years ago is sounds good to me. Good.
1: I mean, do you remember yeah, Soft pre- Windows ninety five? What that ran like? You could barely play Minesweeper. <sighs> I remember all of those because like I
0: just another callback to, to being a web developer in the nineties, you had, you know, I didn't, you either, the best way to do it was to actually just have a PC next to you, you know, and you'd either do all your development in home site on a PC and then turn around and test it on a Mac, or you do all your development in BB edit on a Mac and then turn around and test it on a PC. So you could test it in all the popular browsers. I didn't have a PC. I didn't a didn't want to buy one. Didn't have room for one, and so I just ran like what was it called? Virtual PC uh, was the one I
1: had. That I had was one of them. I had but that. I, I had Soft Windows ninety five. I remember, which was like a full on. I think I had that one too, which was yeah. not good. Yeah,
0: they were all not good. They were good enough in that they were running the actual code, and so for testing the visual fidelity of a website, they were great. Because if if it looked good, then you knew it would be good. They just weren't any – they were so slow that it was no way to judge the actual load time. Um, But I remember them well. Do do you remember (laughs) –
1: so (laughs) while we're talking about emulators, do you remember – it was like around 2000, you could buy a PlayStation emulator for the Mac and actually play PlayStation discs natively? No, I don't remember this at all. I forgot the name of it. It was super weird though. It was – it was t- so random and there were no good controllers so you were playing playstation games on a mac <laughs> without a playstation <laughs> and of course like the 640 by 480 uh vga screen looked so crappy on a uh, i think i was using a power power yeah. mac or a or the laptop's powerbook g3 at that point but yeah Power. um do you think now also going back probably too early do you, they used to sell um desktop Mac that had a Intel chip and a PowerPC chip in it. Do you think they will? Yeah. Those were probably super unpopular. Um, I think yeah. that was even, I forget what that was called. Yeah. I think that was before Steve came back, but
0: oh, do you yeah, think yeah. there it would be a, like a or, Mac
1: pro board no, that you could run Intel and also run Apple Silicon on the, in the same tower? The Mac pro
0: is a big question mark because the Mac pro the new modern Mac pro that's now six months old is such a beast of a architecture and it has those boards that you can swap in and as obvious. So I'm not going to say no with the Mac pro that there would be some sort of way that you could just buy like a PC on a board that you just stick into a new Mac pro. And now you've got it. Intel-based computer inside your Apple Silicon Mac Pro computer, but for all other Macs, including even the iMac Pro, I don't think that's feasible. Yeah. I, I just don't think it's a good idea. I, I um, but I don't think so. I because it, it, it never. It's always weird because even with the, like the old Mac that had the two cards, it's like it was like you ran Windows and in the Mac it looked like an app. But it really was running the operating system on an entirely different CPU super a- weird. In the box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. And so it was sort of like having two computers running at once, but the secondary computer was projecting its its video out into a window on your Mac, you know? Like instead of going to a real video outsource, it was going into a window in the other computer. It was all very super weird. weird. Like, I'm not sure what you buy from that. I'm not sure what you get. I think that it it, it sounds like an interesting idea, and it certainly sounds like at some technical level, the Mac Pro could support a PC on a card that you just stick into one of those slots. But what would you actually do? How would it actually work? Why not just buy a PC? Yeah, especially these days. The network is so
1: fast, you can run it wherever, you know? Um, Do you think the, the first wave of... Apple Silicon powered Macs will be like super dramatic industrial design different, or will they be like the first wave of Intel Macs that were pretty similar? Well, I think that, I think they will be dramatic. I, I,
0: I feel, and some of the Intel ones were dramatic, like the, Mac, um, the
1: MacBook, that the was plastic MacBook. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so they got rid of the i what they called the iBook, which was the consumer version of the PowerBook in the PowerPC era and called the MacBooks um which is so funny cuz it's a name <laughs> it's a name they keep coming up with and they're very they're always very striking and then they go <laughs> away. And then there's there is no more, you know, computer just called MacBook, but the MacBooks were those black and white plasticky ones and everybody remembers the black one looked cooler and also cost more. <laughs> Still still one of my favorite little like footnotes of Apple history that they they literally charged more for a black version of the same computer. And I've still, even off the record, I've never heard what the deal is with that. If they really were just charging because they knew it looked so much better or if it actually did cost more, you know. Like, I
1: think the minimum believe- configuration was higher. Yeah. I made yeah. Henry Blodgett buy me one. That was my first computer at Alley Insider (laughs) in two thousand seven. It was awesome. It was a great machine.
0: Yeah, I do think that that was part of it too. That the yeah the minimum configuration was higher, and maybe spec for spec they were the same price. But basically, if you just walked in the Apple store, looked at the two, thought the black one was cooler, you were looking at at least a hundred dollar extra outlay. Which, (laughs) but they were they were totally cooler looking computers than the iBooks that came before them. I think, I think that. To answer your question, I think that the first, uh, I don't think there's going to be any confusion over which Macs are the new Apple Silicon ones and which ones are the older Intel ones. Maybe with the iMac, they'll do something. I mean, the iMac as we know it is sort of long in the tooth and it hasn't been updated for a while. The iMac Pro has never been updated. They came out with it, it was got universally great reviews. Everybody acknowledges that it has a truly genius uh, heating architecture to keep it, you know, running, keep it from running hot yet, very, very quiet. And they've never updated it. So are they going to do another round of updates to the iMac while they're still on Intel? And if they do, are they going to make them look new? I mean, there's rumor, you know, there's... The chin, as the, as we call it at the bottom of the iMac, sort of looks outdated at this point. It seems like the iMac should just be all screen. Um, and it's not. And are they going to wait? Are they really going to make people keep buying the, the ones we have now that are kind of a couple years out of date for six more months? Or are they going to give us a, a new one? I don't know. So the iMac, maybe. I think with MacBooks, though, the ARM ones are going to look all new. Uh, I don't know how. I mean, because I'm not a designer, but... I would just guess thinner. I would guess just new design language screens that go closer to edge to edge. I think it's pretty telling that while they made the 16 inch MacBook Pro, you know, even bumping it up from 15 inch in terms of how big the screen size is, you know, they made it go closer to the side to side, but they didn't even do that with the 13 inch. You know, there certainly is a lot of room with the 13 inch to make it look a lot more modern
1: i mean i just even think back to that 12 inch macbook that i loved for so long but just had such terrible battery life that you know that's the kind of thing where and and then you take the current ipad pro which is so thin and so fast and you know yes they don't have a keyboard they have to deal with um but yeah that to me that's going to be the sweet spot is that kind of good consumer level laptop where you know you could probably at least bump up to 10 real hours of battery life and, and probably make it a lot easier to have built-in cellular. I know that was always an issue with the, with the Intel um, MacBooks and a lot of stuff like that. And I've been waiting for it for years. So I'm, I'm actually really excited for that.
0: Yeah. I think something returning to the idea of the just plain MacBook from the last couple of years, you know, the, not not the two thousand six one that was plastic, but the super thin and light one. I, I they must return to that because the MacBook Air, the new MacBook Airs that are now like the flagship MacBooks in Apple's lineup, and they're great machines and they're pretty much exactly what I think you know, the eleven hundred to thirteen hundred dollar Apple MacBook for most people should be, I think they're really great. I think they're nice and thin. You can make something a lot thinner, right? It's the MacBook that we, that they got rid of shows that they could make something a lot thinner. It's just that they were kind of slow and didn't get great battery life, you know? So if they could do something that's super impressively small like that, um, boy, I think that would sell. Uh, cellular, I think is, you know, most people seem to be talking about touchscreens and I guess we should talk about that. I'd love to hear if you think they're going to do touchscreen Macs. If they do, I think that's clearly the time. I I don't even, and again, it's not because they can't do touchscreens on Intel, but if they're going to have this line in the sand that we're doing this big transition, why not put as many of the transition type things like there are no Macs with a touchscreen And then there's a transition to there are some Macs with touchscreens. Why not have it all be the same line, right? And it certainly is a compelling argument, you know, in terms of selling it, you know. And it would be it would drive (laughs) all the people nuts because Apple has spent years, you know, it's very Applely to spend all of the years where they have no touchscreen Mac, saying we think touchscreens on the laptop form factor are a bad idea. And then until they do it, and then it's the best idea they've ever had, <laughs> and they, of course, there's some aspect to the introduction that makes it seem as though they invented it. Totally, <laughs> and it just, it's just I I I live for those moments to see the reactions from.
1: I mean, I, that was definitely people. the kind of takeaway from the new um, UI for you know OS. OS eleven, I guess we're at now. Um, I definitely saw a lot of tweets saying, "Oh, this th- th- these touch targets are for fingers, not for mouse cursors and mouse buttons." Um, it's so funny because ever since I got the iPad Pro keyboard case with the trackpad, I almost never touch the screen anymore. Uh, you know, except with the pencil. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I. Th- there are some places where it's super useful, but. If anything, like I'm less interested in a touch screen. It it might be nice though to have pencil support. And it really depends on the kind of balance of weight. You know, if you're poking at the screen and it's flopping the computer around. Um but I would say that on the balance, I'm probably more I would be less far less surprised if they did integrate touch into the Mac than before just by seeing the you Know kind of the new paradigm of, of the, the the Mac UI,
0: yeah. I don't know. I, I'd some people seem to look at the new 10 or not uh, 10, it's actually a Mac OS 11 now. But people look at Big Sur, and some people look at it and seem to think this is definitely for a touchscreen because some things have a little bit more space and some of the icons look more like iPad icons. I see some of what they're saying, but there's a lot to me that doesn't look any more touch friendly than it ever was. And that doesn't mean that I think it's not going to happen. I just, I think people are seeing what they want to see. I think the people who seem to think it is a clear predictor of touchscreen support in the arm based max coming next year seem to be a one-to-one correlation with the people who most want it to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and as opposed to sort of objectively looking at it, like I, And, and on that particular point, I, I feel pretty objective about it. Like I'm not opposed to it. I'm just not dying for it either. Like I really don't feel strongly about it. The only part I feel very strongly about is I really, really, and I don't think it's going to happen. I would hate to see the Mac go to an interface where everything is expected and has to be sized for touch because there's so much good Mac software where, The information density, you know, like just look at the palettes in Photoshop or any other app that's like Photoshop. I don't want to have a palette in Photoshop where all the buttons are double the size and spaced apart so that you, you can make them fingerprint friendly. I, I like having them packed together. That's my only concern. And I think that's possible where you, you know, you, um, and I think it's the way they would go. I, I think it's sort of like the inverse of the iPad where the iPad is still touch first, but now it has a trackpad that you can use, but somebody who doesn't have one would never know it, right? My wife doesn't have the keyboard with the trackpad. She uses her iPad as much as anybody I know. She is, she uses her iPad more than her Mac and iPhone combined by far. I don't know that she even knows that her iPad OS has trackpad support because I don't know that she reads my website. <laughs> <laughs> right? But that's the way it should be. It still is, right? And I feel like the right way for the Mac to gain touchscreen support would be, okay, so if you bought one that has a touchscreen, now you can scroll by putting your finger on your screen. But if you're still using your Mac connected to, you know, like if you just spent $6,000 on an Apple's whatever the thing display is called, which obviously doesn't have touch, it doesn't feel like you're left out, right? Totally, yeah. So I feel like add, you know, the Mac is mouse first and touch second in the way that the iPad remains touch first and trackpad second.
1: Yeah. I think that's possible. So another way of interpreting that is just like, you know, the iPad is going to look more like, perhaps even more like uh, Big Sur at some point, or, you know, if those visual paths are converging more and more perhaps one of them will never get touch support but if the idea is to make it so that they look more like each other perhaps i don't know um i don't know we'll be be did you uh
0: have you installed have you installed any of the betas yet i
1: have not uh i usually wait for the public betas because i don't really have spare machines um so
0: (laughs) Yeah. I keep thinking about it. I mentioned it with Panzerino, It was on my show last week. But uh, ordinarily, because I travel in the summer more, I depend on my phone. So I haven't installed betas on my re- regular iPhone totally. for years because I, I just can't take the chance. But I'm not going anywhere this summer. So yeah. I'm sort of like, why not? You know? Yeah, the, the
1: extra hit to the battery life does not matter at all.
0: You know, it's like I know a lot of people out there cutting their own hair. And it's like, well, why not? I'm not going anywhere. Nobody's seen me in, you know, months. So what's the difference, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, why not have a phone that's half brick? But everybody I know who's installed it has said that they're seemingly on a yin-yang schedule where – iOS 12 two years ago, everybody was like, this is the most stable beta I've ever seen from Apple. This is actually more stable than iOS 11 was in production. This is fantastic. And then last year, iOS 13 was sort of one of the least stable rele- releases they've ever had. Remember the weird release like in August where they, they suddenly pulled yeah. the developer betas and cause like they kind of had to do a release to manufacturing and it wasn't really ready. And then it was really weird where like, the, the initial wave of brand new iPhone 11s that came out in September had iPhone, iOS 11 or uh, 13.0, but 13.1 came out like four days later. Yeah. I mean, it, it was weird. You know, it just, and you know, Apple didn't want to talk about it because they're Apple, but basically they, they, they were behind, you know, the software was behind. They had to ship because the hardware is coming and they did the best they could and they kind of, you know, made it all work. By October, which you know all credit to them um, well, and I think that but it uh, seems like
1: balances I- up against the, the fewer maybe new features this year is that the the focus was on on quality and and of course any constraints yeah. from having people working at home too i'm sure that slowed things down as well I'm
0: curious about that, and I sort of if you know I always after my live show or interview show, whatever you want to call it remote show this year. I always have the feeling, you know, the questions in the back of my head that I sort of wish I'd asked that I didn't ask. And on my list, it wasn't that I forgot to ask, but it was just sort of was in one of my question cards that it just felt like we ran out of time was to talk about, you know, like, and I don't know what, I don't know if they would have answered it. I, you know, was, I don't, I just don't know, but basically has the work from home shift since March affected what they're working on like are they doing more bug, bug fixes because that's more amenable to engineers working at home or is it sort of like no this is you know even if this hadn't happened would ios the ios 14 you see today probably would have been pretty much the same i don't think they would have answered but i, I still think it's an interesting question here let me take a break i'll thank our third and final sponsor of the show, our good friends at Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website, hosting, design, CMS, everything you want to do to have your own website. You could do it at Squarespace. Next time you need a website, try it Squarespace first, especially if somebody else comes to you and says, hey, you're a nerd. I know you know stuff. What should I do? I need a new website for my restaurant, my business, my portfolio. Have them go to Squarespace. And they'll thank you for it. Go to Squarespace and start. Just start building it. You get a free trial. You can use it. Build the whole thing, to, just the way you want it. And then when you're like, "Yeah, this is exactly what I want. This is the perfect." You just switch to a paid account, and what you've already built just moves right over, and nobody knows the difference. Nobody knows outside your website that your free trial's over. You shifted to paid. It just works, and they really do. They have everything: design templates to choose from. You could start from scratch if you're a designer and you know CSS, HTML, that sort of thing. You can build your website from the ground up and have it look just the way you want. You can start with one of their designs and go from there. Um, Really is great. I really do recommend it. And I know you say, well, how does Squarespace keep sponsoring the talk show almost every week? It's because people keep signing up with the code. So remember the code. They'll know you keep coming. You keep sending people here. And the code saves you 10% off, which includes the ability to prepay for an entire year, 10%. So go to squarespace.com, and the code is just plain talk show. At checkout, you get 10% off. Uh, my thanks to Squarespace. Uh, you could even go to squarespace.com slash talk show, and it has the code built in, and they'll know you came from here. So my thanks to Squarespace. Uh. The only other thing I wanted to talk to you about, because I feel like I have to, is a little bit of media kibitzing. Oh yeah, uh, you see, and there's a lot of it going on. Uh, I, I'm sort of nibbling around the edges of it, uh, and, and it's it, it's sort of coming together in a couple of ways. Um, I like the whole thing with social media networks, sort of getting their, stopping, trying to having it both ways. And, you know, like just today before recorded Reddit closed the, the Donald subreddit, which is where all the, uh, Trump fans, you know, got their hate on for years. Uh, Twitter has, you know, in recent months, recent weeks started putting labels on the more egregious of Trump's tweets and Facebook has not And has really started to take flack for it, and has seen a lot of uh, big name advertisers not boycott them. It's you know, it's an interesting dance, and uh, you know, like Coca Cola to name one, and Unilever, which is a big. If you've never heard of Unilever, you know half of your supermarket is fully Unilever products, Um, and they've said that they're going to just. Stop advertising on social media for six months and see what happens. Well, you know it happens to coincide <laughs> with a massive recession, so it 's not necessarily tied to controversy but um it just seems to me my take on this, and again, maybe i'm the one seeing what I want to see here maybe i'm the one who's blinded by bias, but i what I think is happening is that these social media groups have uh, networks have tried for years. To sort of have it both ways where they're they're trying to say, everybody's welcome, we want the whole country, we want the whole world, whether you're, you know, on, on this side or that side of the political divide, no matter how extreme one of those sides might get, we, we're after the most, the biggest audience, so we're going to be the home to all of it, and that's the spirit of free speech. Um, and, you know, sounds good until... <laughs> Until it starts going awry, and I feel like what's happened is that people are like, "I don't want anything to do with this network if they're going to allow X, Y, and Z." And so now you've got you have to make a choice, which is we're going to allow this one side to post things that the other side finds unacceptable, or we're go- we're going to lose one or the other. If we say you're not allowed to do it, they're going to say you're biased against us because we're quote unquote conservative, um, or if they allow these people to to post whatever they want they're going to lose people who say i find this to be hateful curious what what you think is going on and where you think it's heading
1: i mean it's it's you know you look at facebook which is now 16 years old something like that um you know is it a utility is it is it like at and where it just pushes whatever people on one end send to people on the other end is it a service is it a publisher and you know i think for a long time Mark Zuckerberg described it as as utility. in fact, he used to call it I believe a social utility but a social utility is not funded by advertising from the biggest companies in the world um, you right. know and it runs an application layer and an application platform in fact. And so in the last four or five years, six years, you know the probably the biggest conversation in the tech industry is that these these huge social networks primarily facebook but also twitter to some degree youtube as well reddit um, they need to take more responsibility for what they are and you see that through varying degrees you know even even twitter which gets a lot of applause for the kind of you know little asterisks as they put on trump tweets now Um, that, which is really what it amounts to, but they've gotten thing and it's so Twitter, but, um, you know, they, they, it's not an easy, by the way, not an easy problem to solve. And also not just a problem here in the U S like this is, this was a much bigger problem in other countries before it was here, uh, where people were actually being, you know, a, a lot of people were killed it, but you could see also the severity of this and how, I I think people make it seem like it's so easy for Mark Zuckerberg to just make one decision and that will solve everything. That's just not the case. Like, these are complicated problems that are different everywhere. There are places where there are laws. There are places where there aren't laws. Um, You know, there's probably a lot of Americans who wish that Twitter would just delete Trump's account and... You could make a very good case for why that should not be allowed either. Um, you know, right. if if Twitter decides we are a a journalistic entity, you know, we're a publisher, of course, then it can have whatever you know. Then it can publish whatever it wants and um, and not publish whatever it wants. But I don't think anyone wants that from Twitter or Facebook either. I don't think they want the effective, you know, the equivalent of the app review process for. Every single post that goes through these services—that's kind of not even possible. There's just so much content that flows through them, and so many people using them. Uh, You know, imagine the app queue for for approval if there were two billion developers trying to to ship updates every day. Like that just wouldn't really work. So, it's not an easy problem to solve. You also you can't really say with a straight face that any of these companies are doing a great job at it. Um, Especially not Facebook. Especially not. Uh, youtube and twitter there's just so much bad stuff that happens as well and it, this is just going to be part of the part of the reality for for quite a long time i mean you know we're not close to having near perfect ai analysis of of speech that would like you know rule out all but 0.01 percent of edge cases that's just not really happening either so yeah um you know it, I think it's,
0: I think it's really hard to put your finger on because I feel like what they've built are so nebulous in certain ways, these social networks that it analogies to anything else break down. But like the phone network, the old fashioned landline phone network was a true utility. It really, it's, you know, you could put it in, it, in terms of, especially the pre internet era, it was the definition of a utility. And when you picked up your phone, all you got was a dial tone and it just meant your phone is working and then you punched numbers in and got connected you know it's everything changes you can't really call it a uh, a utility when facebook has an algorithm that suggests things to totally. you right You know, and there were apps, you know, we didn't call them apps, but I always, it's like, and it shows how old I am that I remember it, but, and there was even an entire Seinfeld episode about the movie phone.
1: Oh yeah. You know, like
0: (laughs) that was how you found out what movies were playing. You'd call the, I swear to God, kids, this is what you did. And it was awesome because before movie phone, you had to like find a newspaper and find the movie listing page and figure it out. Like if you just wanted to figure out what movies were playing and where you'd call a phone number and. there was a guy, and he'd tell you, you know, it was a recorded voice, and you'd punch in your zip code, and then and, and he would say, you know, you could go to this movie theater, and they've got this movie, and you'd hit 7 to hear the times, and it, and it was playing at 7 and 9.30 p.m. at this movie theater. And then you'd tell your friends that's where it is, and you'd go. It's like Facebook is more like you pick up your phone, and your phone just says to you, would you like to talk to movie phone? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's And that changes it from being a utility. Yeah. It's different, you know? And I think the other thing, too, is that they've sort of backed themselves into a corner here where, and again, this analogy has all sorts of holes in it, but maybe in like the 1950s, everybody went shopping downtown and you'd go downtown and that's where all the stores are. And because it was a public square, if somebody with a political message could stand on the corner and shout it because it was public. And then in the 70s, everybody went to indoor shopping malls and they were all privately owned and everybody went to the malls. But they wouldn't let kooks stand in this middle of the hallway and shout their stuff because it was privately owned. And then you could say, you're shutting down free speech because this is where everybody is. But it's not a town square. It's a private property. And if they allow you to do it, then it's on them, right? And its I don't know what the solution is because you can't make everybody go back to going downtown where it is free and open and nobody controls it. But it is you. If you own them all, and you let a kook—whether they're left-wing kooks, right-wing kooks, religious kooks, whatever it is—if you just let them sit there with a megaphone and shout at people, that's on you. It it is a complicated scenario. Anyway, we could do a whole show.
1: Yeah, it's complicated. It's (laughs) it's never going to be perfect, but it certainly could be better. And yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens. All right, always
0: good to talk Thank to you. Thank you so much. I love talking to you after WWDC. Uh, everybody can. Uh, where, what's the domain for new, new consumer? dot com. com.
1: Yeah, check it out.
0: And that's your newsletter. I enjoy reading it. It feels like you're doing a great Thank job. You. I I think. Uh, I'm having fun. Really, really so great.
1: That's part of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I feel it. I can feel it in your writing. It feels like you're, you know. I don't know. You, you you know, you could probably tell me, you, you know me well enough. You could tell when I'm in a good mood on Daring
1: Fireball. Absolutely, yeah.
0: <laughs> Newconsumer.com. And then on Twitter, uh, of course, you are FromDome, F-R-O-M-E-D-O-M-E. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know why I'd say that because I'm sure everybody's already following you. Thanks, Dan. Would,
1: ho- would hope so. Thank you.